This is Why We Plan, a podcast for business owners and their advisors about how to better plan for the exit from a business. Join us each episode as we discuss different elements of exit planning, including real life stories, challenges, and opportunities of owners and their advisors. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Why We Plan. My name is John Brown. I'm the founder of BEI. And with us today is Natalie. I'm going to explain what she does, but it's important for business advisors who represent family-run businesses to listen carefully to what she's going to talk about. So welcome, Natalie. Tell us about yourself, where you're from, what you're doing, and then we're going to dive into the thick of family business planning. Awesome. Great to be here, John. Uh, I'm a family business advisor. I'm a coach, a mediator, um, and my background is in uh, management consulting as well as neuroscience. And uh, that really helps deal with kind of all the intersections that we see in family and companies, right? The family, the business, the ownership. And it gets really tricky when what you love is your business and your kids. And so we help support effective transition throughout that without it killing the family along the way. So that's interesting. So how do advisors bring you into a family business situation? We won't call it, we won't call it conflict yet, but a family business situation. Yeah, hopefully it is pre-conflict because then it's easier. It yeah. costs them less money. Uh, but we do a lot of thought leadership. So I have, you know, um, articles on, you know, what is wealth, which talks about wealth holistically, and it asks planning questions, or we'll have one on, you know, a shared cabin, right? A lot of these families have a shared property. Mm-hmm. And even if you're not talking about the business, you're probably going to gift that to them. So we have these teasers, and we say, would you like to meet the author? Our first meeting is free. Um, what we don't want you to say is we're bringing in someone who's going to help you because you're really screwed up. That doesn't usually work out very well. Interesting. So let's let's assume a scenario, family business scenario, business active child mm-hmm. doesn't have ownership yet, non-business active child, keep it simple, just two kids. How does the owner, how do you work with the owner to create a process or a plan transfer ownership, and keep the family at the ranch? Yeah, that's a great question, and it varies family to family. But the very first step is really finding out what the owner truly wants, not what they think they should do, could do, and we usually bring in the spouse. So if it's a matriarch, we bring in the husband. If it's a patriarch, we bring in the wife to say, you know, what are your hopes and dreams? I don't like the fear question, but sometimes it comes up. And, you know, nine times out of ten, they say, I want my kids to be taken care of, and they want to give ownership to both of them in some way, shape, or form. What we can do then is help them rethink what they did already. In my experience, most entrepreneurs underpay themselves because they get money out as dividends. Mm -hmm. Well, one strategy then is to pay market rate, you know, for the business active child, Mm -hmm. so they get a, a commiserate compensation for being president or CEO that makes a lot of sense that there's a continued reinvestment policy that is agreed to go through. Reinvestment in the business? In the business, instead of just dividends in the pocket. So that, you know, if they do equal ownership, whether it's voting or non-voting, that there's a way that that makes sense. And then really educate the difference between ownership and management. 
we call it conflation, but when dad or mom was the owner, parent, and manager, they tend to think that a lot of the decisions they made were because they were the owner. That's not actually true. There are only four to seven rights as owners. One has to do with acquisition, one has to do with financial return, one has to do with the culture of the company changing substantially, and then modifying the bylaws. Those are really the only four powers that most owners get. So even if my, let's call it my brother, because I have a brother, my brother is an equal owner with me, he only gets equal say on these four things that really have nothing to do with the day-to-day. So part of what we do is ownership education. That's interesting, yeah. So it's it's also interesting that in exit planning through BEI, we're educating advisors. And on family business planning, we focus on a couple of things. One, your client is the owner or the owners. Mm-hmm. It's not, even if a child brings you into a scenario, really we need to represent the owner because that's where the decisions need to be made and are going to be made. That's one thing. And then the second thing that we like to focus on is usually there's one business active parent. Usually that's the dad. And it's vital to have the spouse, be it man or woman, uh, active at these initial meetings where decisions are made. Maybe the non-active spouse isn't going to carry out the decisions, but unless husband and wife are on the same level, it's going to create issues sure you've seen that when that's not the case yeah we tend to think about you know the parent with the resources the wealth right they usually hold the purse strings but the other parent holds the communication strings there's a a phenomenon we've called mother is gatekeeper right if it's the parent so if she's not happy no one in the family is happy right um she also often, because, uh, and it could be he in some cases in the reverse situation, but she often has a more intimate relationship with the children and knows their skills and capabilities in the way the parent who was, who had a third child in this two-child scenario, right? Let's call it son-daughter for ease. And then the third child's the business. That's the child the husband paid the most attention to, whereas the wife knows a little more about the other two. So really coming in as a group, making this decision is important. It also means that likely that we call them the CEO, the chief emotional officer, Mm -hmm. versus the chief executive officer. Chief emotional officer is gonna be a great person to help communicate this process as well um, in a way that their adult children can understand. That's great. So how does, when when an advisor listening in senses there might be conflict in the family, uh, how how do they engage you, and what do, what's your approach? Yeah, so the short answer is there is conflict in a family. Uh, even avoiding conflict is a conflict style. Um, those are actually the trickier clients, the ones that don't admit they have conflict. I rather like the clients who are more verbose about it because you know what you're dealing Good with. Good Italian families. Good right? Italian families, right? Um, I think that that is helpful. Um, We like to deal with emotional issues because for every economic decision, there's an emotional component. And to believe that there's not is us just lying to ourselves. So if that's not your forte, if you don't like the emotions, if they stop your engagement, then I think that's where you bring someone in and say, you know, this is really my skill set. I'm on the economic side, whether I'm a CPA, a financial planner. And because it's a family, which is an emotional system, 
I'd like to bring in a partner who can help support the emotional aspects. And that seems to, to work, right? Um, uh, and I think that's really useful in the conversation piece and opening it up. And that helps you as the advisor also talk to that client when you know, he maybe said it should be the son in the business. You say, okay, that's the economics, but what's the emotion to that? Okay, well, my daughter in Cleveland, who's a doctor, you know, has got a lot of medical bills, and it would be unfair that she doesn't get compensated for that. So it opens up your vocabulary for them to have both emotional and economic decisions, too. So what, what process do you use to talk to the family? Is it, is it individuals? Is it all the whole family at once? And what, you, what is your role in not just conflict resolution, but it's moving the family together forward. Yeah, it really depends on what we're brought in to do. If I'm coming in as a mediator, I do individual interviews with everyone, and then all of the discussions happen in the room. I don't caucus after that, so it's a skill that they're building. If I come in as the coach, shepherding a transition process, there may be some individual meetings throughout the process, but really we're building the capacity of the family to talk to each other. So we'll do a small discovery, come in, see the scope of the areas, we see the synergies, we see the areas of disagreements, and we see the opportunities for growth, and we give them that report anonymously, right? So no one's called out for things, it's very anonymous, and that's when the family starts deciding what things they're gonna work on together when they get coached into having these conversations with one another. And it's tough. We most want to belong with our families. Neuroscience has proved that, that our desire to belong outweighs our desire for safety. And where we most want to belong is our family. It's the reason why I might you know, eat my mother's split pea soup every Christmas, because that's what she makes, even though I hate peas, right? And all my friends know I hate peas. And so because we're a family, we tend to lie to each other to not hurt our feelings. And sometimes this is the first place where we have to be honest. And you should, right? It's the family's legacy. It's the family's largest source of wealth. We can't continue to play, um, you know, kindness when you know there are things you have strong feelings about. Especially when mom and dad aren't there to right the ship. Mom and dad keep us to true north, and when they're gone. So that part of your role is explaining that, but you stay involved with the family through this process of understanding each other's feelings and moving together. Yeah, so I create what we call a safe container, and sometimes I'm the person they get mad at. I'm the reason they're talking about these things. That's good. They're going to be mad at someone, and I get to take it away with me. So we facilitate a process. It could be two months. It could be two years, depending on what's going on, till they get to whatever the goal is. You know, ownership transition, management transition, sale of the business. We're agnostic on the choice just that at the end, they still have the strong family. Because strong families create strong businesses, not the other way around. I've never seen a strong business create a strong family. So, you know, what, what you're talking about is very consistent with our training. We don't do what you do. Our members don't do what you do, but it's very, what you're doing is very compatible with the approach our members take towards representing family business owners. But also, owners who might be selling to their key employees, they, mm -hmm. they can also face some of these issues. I don't know, do you ever get involved with non-family scenarios? Yes. Um, we say that we work with privately held companies. So some of my clients have chosen an ESOP as an option. Mm -hmm. 
So when we're not talking about families, if you've seen the three circle model, which is family, enterprise, um, and then ownership, you can just replace family with relationship. I had a couple clients that were just best friends who started a company together. And they had very similar challenges, right? They had this wonderful symbiotic relationship. One wanted to retire early, but again, they were underpaying themselves. So he was still taking a large amount out of the business. And you know, the other friend who was gonna stay there 10 years younger than him was like, is that really fair? Well, it wasn't until we changed the salary band, right? So same issues, just different people in the relationship equation. Interesting. How? Tell us how an advisor listening in or one of our BEI members, how would they identify the need to bring you in to a scenario? Yeah, so the important thing is our first meeting in person or virtual is completely free. I would say um, the kinds of conversations we have just by the nature of saying we do family business advising or individual and organizational performance or a coach will we'll explain it based on how you tell us the scenario. It opens up a world in which they tend to change the conversation with us. So even if we meet them once, they never engage with us, you get tenfold of the information that you probably would have had by the nature of who you bring in, right? They, you know, I've had clients talk to me about their kids, their grandkids, heck, their affairs sometimes, right? Because they're like, oh, it's a coach, it's confidential. So I think that really helps you and your planning process so honestly, there's not a time when not to bring us in, but if you're actually saying, okay, if I don't do this, the client could be in trouble, it's usually when you're hearing grumblings, right? You're, you're hearing there's disagreements, there's undiscussables, there are things clients seem that they're afraid of, then there's something there, and that's usually gonna stop your planning, right? If you've created the perfect plan, they've agreed to it, but they never signed it, that's a sign you should call. Okay, so um, just a couple other questions. How do you charge for your services? Yeah, that's a wonderful thing. I was just sitting in you know, the session before about advisor teams. We are a project scope base. So I've been doing this for a long time, mm -hmm. despite looking young. My mom's Mexican. Can't actually, she's actually 77 years old. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I you know, basically you know, put my thumb in the air and know the direction. And after that discovery, we'll give a project scope. Now, some clients want to do the project or they want to do pieces of the project at a time. Either way, it's, it's finite, it's known, they know it. I don't nickel and dime my clients. They text me, call hours, all hours of the night. So it's a project scope that will be known before people sign on. Excellent, excellent. Well, I think this gives us another tool in our toolbox to use with business owners, mostly family business owners, but it might apply to other emotionally charged scenarios as well. So thank you so much, Natalie. Thanks for having me, John. It's such a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. If you'd like more information on better ways to plan for the future, please visit exitplanning.com.